Good evening. It's time for us to get started, if we can, tonight, please. It's been a beautiful day outside today, and it's a wonderful conclusion to the day when we can assemble here and uh, sing some songs and enjoy one another, uh, one another's company and uh, study God's Word and be uplifted because of that. And we're glad that you're here tonight, and we're especially thankful for those that are visiting with us. We're always honored to have our guests. We want you to know that. We really mean it, and uh, hopefully you'll give us a chance to express that to you before you leave tonight. I hope you uh, did pick up one of the bulletins. If not, please do so. It's got a lot of information in it uh, regarding an update on the sick. I want to begin tonight by announcing that our uh, boat cruise uh, that was scheduled for Friday has been postponed due to inclement weather. And so uh, we'll come up with another date, uh, not too far in the future, I hope, and uh, we will be able to go to that. I know Rick is really missing out. We're not going to be able to go two fat sisters now for lunch. Uh, but it is what it is. It's not going to be raining at two fat sisters, though, is it? But, you know, we just, we just well, anyhow, what? So anyhow, that's been postponed. Also, uh, we're going to have several away this weekend for a youth and family retreat. Uh, there's a schedule of uh, events there in the bulletin. Also, our men's breakfast. I hope we'll have a good number of our men here this coming Sunday morning at 8 o'clock uh, in the annex. Uh, Maywood Benefit Dinner. Maywood Camp Benefit Dinner is going to be May 13th at 6 o'clock uh, at the camp. And uh, see Drew Bruce if uh, you have any more questions about that. Also, you have a list of classes that are beginning tonight, especially with the adults. There's one change there just for tonight. Uh, the class taught by Cameron Jumper on 1st and 2nd Corinthians is going to be in the conference room tonight. Hopefully, it'll switch back to the annex next Wednesday. Uh, when the college maybe moves back over to their place uh, during the summer. So please take note of those classes. I think we've got a good lineup of classes on Sunday night and Wednesday night. And I think uh, we ought to put forth special effort to be here and to be a part of our classes. Also, uh, Super Saturday is coming up on June 10th from 9 a.m. until 2 p.m., and there's going to be a very important meeting for all who are willing to help out with that. And that meeting has been moved to till, till Sunday night, not Sunday morning after services, but Sunday night after our Bible classes. Please plan to meet about that uh, because you are needed. Our Golden Circle Luncheon is coming up this coming Tuesday, May 9th at 1130. Uh, also, our food pantry item for uh, this week is flour. Of course, our food pantry will be open beginning next Thursday. I feel like there's something that I'm leaving out, uh, but uh, I believe that's all the announcements that I have. For our devotional tonight, uh, Gibson Foster is going to be leading our singing, and Brother Jeremy Jones will lead us in prayer. The first song tonight will be my... Uh here we are, but strained pilgrims, 537. Here we are, but strained pilgrims. I'll be singing the first and the third. 
quickly mention in the bulletin uh, there under the uh, card shower section where there's names and addresses Sam Jones his address is listed in our bulletin if you want to send a thank you card uh, to him for coming and being with us this weekend but it's got Jackson Mississippi everything else is right it should be Jackson Tennessee so uh, be sure and make that correction if you send brother Sam a card you know, the Bible is literally saturated with teachings regarding the power of our words, the power of the tongue. For example, in Proverbs 15, verse 1, the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. The Bible says in Proverbs 12 and 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. In Proverbs 16 and verse 28, the Bible says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer or a gossiper separates close friends. Think about how true these verses are. The Bible also says in Proverbs 29 and verse 20, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 10 and verse 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And then the Bible says in Proverbs 15 and verse 2, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. And although each of these Proverbs, I think, is likely well known to all of us, there's one proverb, perhaps, that's most famous for its teaching regarding the tongue, and that would be Proverbs 18 and verse 21. And there the Bible says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. So I want to just point out to you tonight, as we think about the world in which we live, that the things that we say matter. And the way in which we say things matters. Our words can have power to bring great life. Our words can uh, lead people to be greatly encouraged. Our words can also bring damage and destruction and death. Consider what James wrote in James 1 and verse 26. James said, if anyone thinks that he is religious, but he bridleth not his own tongue, 
This person is deceived in his heart and his religion is in vain. You know, if a doctor, when he examines you, you know, if you're sick, sometimes that he'll say, let me, let me see your tongue because that tongue will tell him something about the condition of your body. If I were going to examine a person's religion and his Christianity, the first thing I might say is let me see your tongue because our words speak volumes about who we are as children of God. I hope we'll think about that tonight. As we sing this song of encouragement, we want to give those who may have a need the opportunity to come and make your life right. If there's needs that you have, if you're not a Christian, tonight would be a wonderful opportunity for you to come and render obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Demonstrate your faith in Jesus as the Son of God by repenting of your sins, making that beautiful confession that he's the Son of God, and then tonight to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. And so tonight, if you need to come, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. The invitation song is there's a fountain for your mind Let's sing. There's a fountain free just for you and me. Thank you so much for this day to be able to assemble together, Father, to lift up praises to you and to fill our hearts and minds with your word, Father. Lord, help us to control our tongues in a way that will honor you and glorify you and spread your word. Father God, I pray for our teachers tonight that they are prepared and, and that they are able to share with what they have prepared for, for us as hearers. We pray that we will implant this in our hearts and minds to to share with those around us. Father God, be with those that are not able to be with us tonight for whatever may ail them. Help them to return to us, Father. Help us to be caring and uplifting to those that may be, may be hurting, may be depressed, may be going through other things that, that we studied about this past weekend. Father, we pray that we can be a light for them to, to see you as, as a solution, Father. 
Lord God, we ask for forgiveness in all we do, and we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. While our teachers make their way to class, we will be singing My Hope is Built on Nothing Less, 538, just the first verse. Let's sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I cannot trust the sweetest prayer, but hope be on Jesus' name. On Christ's solid, on Christ and all other ground, this sinking sand, all other ground, this sinking Good evening, everybody. Great to see you. I hope you had a wonderful week so far. Here we are on Wednesday. We call it hump day, kind of the middle of the week. But isn't it great to be able to stop and spend time with God's people and just to, just to kind of get a break from maybe some of the things you've been dealing with this week. Get your batteries charged back up. I have some sick people that I want to mention that we can pray about. And then we're going to begin a new class. This will carry for three months. There is another adult class that is going on, as you heard, down in the conference room. Cameron is doing a study of First and Second Corinthians. Now, the way this thing is designed, in three months, that class will be in here. So you just hang tight, and eventually all these classes will come to you. Okay, I'm going to list these. If you have an update or someone you want to add, we'll put them at the end, okay? Irene Baker has terminal cancer. Austin Wentz is undergoing a long series of treatments. Don Dawson is very ill. Wade Davis is still missing. I saw on Facebook that they have at least for 90 days, I think, or 60 days. Is it 90 days? Um, they've put a reward out there of $20,000 for any information that can lead to some answers. So I just, you know, they're coming close to a year. So those people are really, the Davises really need closure. Carolyn Wilcutt, we remember, pray she'll get better and be able to return. Bobby Petty has cancer. Uh, Kelby Smith has Parkinson's. Cody McGee has had foot surgery several months ago. He should be able to return to work. I think he told me August. Uh, 
Larry Kennedy has cancer. Van Roberts has cancer. Paul Rollison has cancer. Lex Crossan has health problems. Norma Hemwell has health problems. Marty and Donna Woodruff have cancer. Eli Johnson is undergoing treatments for cancer. Ethan Kendrick's friend, Justin Mooney, has throat cancer. James Goddard has cancer. John Roten has health problems. Ann Langford has pain in her legs. Emma Hutton has cancer. Paul Nichols has cancer. Sharon Strickland, Grayson Miller, Scotty Ennis, Paul Goldman, Pat Moore, Teresa Burcham, they all have cancer. Laura Galloway, remember her and her pregnancy, and Laura Brumley. Linda Garrett's undergoing treatments for, uh, follow-up treatments for her cancer and very, makes her very weak. Jimmy Gross has dementia. Barbara Foster has cancer. Mike Vance has cancer. Lynn Barragona is here. She's out of a sling. Doing okay? Okay. Uh, Luther Mormon's still recovering, has a lot of injuries. Dave Woodrow's dealing with some issues. Glenn Newton's facing some health issues. James Hester's awaiting some tests. Jeremy Owens has cancer, brain tumor. Marley Warner's recovering from her surgery. Is that going well? Eddie Allen's recovering from shoulder replacement. Larry Muse has cancer. Angie South has cancer. Lennox Kinnamer, five years old, has leukemia. Um, Brenda Taylor, who's a friend of Lisa Peaks, has bladder cancer. Linda's having hip replacement surgery on the 15th. Loxley Eaton is dealing with a condition that's destroying bone marrow. It's a, a genetic problem. Roy Taylor had a heart attack, awaiting bypass. Ha, has that surgery occurred? A Pat Cooper, how is Pat? Okay. Cassie Stewart is not well. Remember her. She has chronic illnesses. And I never thought I'd see the day. And today happened. A shooting in a hospital. I just, I don't know. I just thought that would never happen. So, kind of shocked by that. But I think they're still looking for the suspect. One person died, and I think four others were very serious, some in surgery, maybe all of them. So we want to pray about that situation. You have anybody else? Struggles at 93? Wow. That's good for her. But we pray that she'll get better. Okay, let's have our prayer. And yay, we'll begin a, a new baby study. Uh, brand new. Oh, she's getting on its feet today. Looking forward to that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for a beautiful stretch of days and pray we've made good use of those things. 
We thank you for this evening that we can be together and discuss matters related to the family in particular, but we're also aware of all the, all the good things that are happening around us in Bible classes. We pray that uh, as the children are wrapping up their studies, as the adults are beginning new studies, that these things will be impactful to our lives, help us, help us in our Christian walk. And I, I especially thank you for the upcoming months where we're emphasizing family and marriage. I pray, Father, that these things will help us as a body to be stronger in our relationships, uh, but also those relationships that are hurting or stressed right now. I pray that something can be said that will help to avert disaster in those relationships. Please, Lord, be with these folks who are sick or who are recovering from injuries or who are facing surgery. We pray for Irene Baker that she'll have good days. Bless Austin Wentz with strength and endurance. Be able to bear up all these treatments he's dealing with. Pray for Don Dawson that he will have better days. Be with those who tend to him and uh, be with Brenda and help her just to have some clarity about his situation and what to do. We pray for the Davis family and I guess we hope that there will be some good results that will come from increasing the reward it seems unthinkable that anybody would withhold information that they had all this time. But if this will help, I, I pray that some really good things will come of it. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with Carolyn Wilcutt, that she can return to us really soon. Be with Bobby Petty, who has cancer. Be with Kelby Smith, that he'll have good days despite Parkinson's. Please be with Cody McGee and his recovery. Bless Larry Kennedy, Van Roberts, Paul Rollison, who have cancer. Pray that Lex Crossan will have good days and be with Norma. Help her to also have good days, but be with Joan as she is tending both to her sister and to her husband. We pray for the Woodruffs who both have cancer and we just pray they're getting the support they need. Be with Eli Johnson in his treatments. Bless Ethan's friend, Justin, as he undergoes treatments for cancer. Pray for James Goddard, who has cancer. We pray that John Roten will have good days and bless Peggy as she cares for him. We pray for Ann Langford, that she will have relief from her pain. Be with Emma Hutton, Paul Nichols, Sharon Strickland, Grayson Miller, Scotty Ennis, Paul Goldman, Pat Moore, Teresa Burcham, who all have cancer. Pray for Laura and Lauren as they both go through their pregnancies and bless their babies with health and strength. We pray for Linda Garrett that she will have good days and we pray that Joe can be a, a support to her and that these treatments will soon be over and she can enjoy good health again. Pray for Jimmy Gross. That he'll have good days. Bless Barbara Foster, 
Mike Vance, who both have cancer. We pray for Lynn Baragona that she's going to have a full recovery and full use of her arm and shoulder again. We pray for Luther Mormon that his injuries are treatable, that he will respond to treatments. He'll not re-injure himself and his activities. And we pray that both he and Joan can be back with us soon. Be with Dave Woodrow. Bless him according to his needs. We pray for Glenn Newton, who's facing some serious health problems. Please bless James Hester as he uh, is facing some tests. Pray for Jeremy Owens and his treatment. We're thankful that Marley's doing well in her recovery, and we pray she'll have good use for her arm again. Be with Eddie Allen as he recovers from his surgery, and Larry Muse as he's battling cancer. Be with Angie Smith in her battle with cancer. Be with a young Lennox who has leukemia. We pray for Brenda Taylor who has bladder cancer. We ask your blessings on Linda Beard as she is making preparations for her surgery that's coming soon. We pray that it will have the results that she's hoping for. We pray for Loxley Eaton who has this condition. We pray there's some kind of treatment for it. Be with Roy Taylor, who had a heart attack and is awaiting bypass. We pray for Pat Cooper, and we know that uh, she's facing a long stay in the hospital and maybe in recovery too. We just, Lord, we pray that her health is going to turn around. Be with Cassie Stewart, who's not well and who is sick a lot. We pray that she will have good days. We pray for Flora Warner, who's struggling right now, and we just pray she'll regain her strength and bless her family as they worry about her. And Lord, it kind of the, the unthinkable happened today, and I don't know if this has happened before somewhere, but it's the first time I've heard of it, that someone shot people in a hospital, and it seems like there's any place safe anymore. We just pray, Lord, that... Um, the fellow that, that did that will be caught and justice will be served. Pray for the families that have lost loved ones, those who are distressed over uh, those that are shot and receiving uh, treatment and surgery. We just pray uh, good things for those who are suffering right now. Pray that the church in Atlanta uh, can reach out and somehow... Uh, be a part of the recovery and all these awful things. We pray, Lord, that you will bless us as uh, we study together tonight. I pray, Lord, that uh, in our study that you will uh, help, help us to learn more about your word, to be instructed in the things that are good and that are right, and that you will help us to know better about how to, how to serve and, and live in our families. We thank you, Father, for the blessing of that and for the opportunity that that represents. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight we're going to begin a new series of studies. And as indicated, it's about family. What I want to... What I want to share with you over the next three months is what the Bible has to say about you tending 
to your family. Now, tonight's going to serve as an introduction, but in the coming weeks, it's going to be somewhat interactive. My intention is to spend maybe the front end of the lesson just kind of laying out some scriptural principles. And then the second aspect of our study together will be some suggestions or even exercises that all of us can do with our families in order to strengthen them. We're living in a very destructive time, I hope you know, related to the family. And we all need to give attention to that. And whether, whether we're raising a family right now in this environment or whether we have grandchildren in that environment or even many of you have grandchildren, whatever it is that we are experiencing in terms of family, we probably all can realize by what we read and the experiences of our lives, the kind of trauma that is being experienced in our families. So, if I were going to give a secondary title to the thing, I would call it family dynamics. I guess that's a shorter, <laughs> a shorter expression. But I want, I want the dynamics of family life to kind of be exposed and to understand as much as we can what God, God expects of us in these families. So, I want us to begin by having some perspective. How do you gain perspective? Sometimes how we see things, the life that we're living, the way we interact with folks is driven by our day-to-day -day obsession with getting ahead. Living in a country where the emphasis seems to be so strongly etched in material gain, a lot of us can fall prey to the very sense of working for the day and anticipating tomorrow and making plans for the future. And we get wrapped up just like everybody else does in our jobs, how much money we're making, what kind of standard of living we're involved in. We may even have great ambitions that occupy our minds. Sometimes it takes what I would call a significant emotional event or maybe even a life-threatening kind of event to change our perspective. Well, what do you mean by that? One example that I would give you is maybe the most famous of those kinds of transitions, that being Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 8, there's Saul of Tarsus, already powerfully educated, Already with a mission in mind, I'm going to eradicate Christianity because that's my duty to God. As a result of that, we're introduced to him in Acts chapter 8 because he's the guy that's present, but he basically guards the coats of those folks that take up stones in order to stone Stephen. He's a participant in those events. But next thing we know in his obsession to seek out those Christians. In chapter 9, he's on the road to Damascus. He's already got the authority that he needs to go get those Christians. 
and to bring them back for persecution. But you know what happened on that road to Damascus. He had a change in his perspective. As much as he had been obsessed about the eradication of Christianity, now he's come face to face with the one that those Christians were following. And Jesus challenges him, not just in terms of his preoccupation, but specifically about his own case. He gets to the very root, the heart, and the soul of the person that Saul of Tarsus is. And as a result of that, you know, for three days, he is anticipating a meeting with Ananias. Ultimately, that results in his baptism, his conversion to Christianity. Now, his perspective has changed. I am no longer against Christianity with all that I have. Now I am for Christianity with all that I have. But unfortunately, for Saul of Tarsus, his reputation preceded him. And as much as he wanted to give all glory to God for this transition in his life, a change in perspective, you know that many of those, those good, loving Christians were not very accepting of Saul of Tarsus simply because of his reputation. And as much as Barnabas tried to help, you know, acclimate him to his new brethren, still they were resistant. Okay, now notice this. A change in perspective, honor and glory to God. But then there's this. In verse 30 of Acts chapter 9, we find out that the brethren, kind of because, you know, there's been some hiccups along the way. What we're going to do is we're going to back up and we're going to send you to Tarsus. Now, wait a minute. You've, you've heard that place before. It's actually in his name, right? That's what we referred to him in this early stage, Saul of Tarsus. You're a Christian now, you're filled with zeal, you're having hiccups and not fully accepted. What we'll do is we'll send you to the place that probably you long to go, Tarsus. Let's go back home. Be surrounded by family, friends. That's a healing thing. Family. I was reading a story the other day about Ed Thomas. He happened to be the regional manager of one of the nation's largest companies. But unfortunate for him, the downturn in the economy resulted in an invitation by the president of his company who resided in Chicago to come and have a talk. And so Ed got on a plane at 30,000 feet. All he could think about was, wait, you know, I spent 20 years working on my career. I tried to climb the ladder. I spent all this time at work. I've neglected my family. And now tomorrow, I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose my job. And now I'm middle-aged. How in the world am I going to make it? That's all he could think about. And then all of a sudden, the plane hit one of those turbulent spots. <laughs> there had been nothing but stars and moonlight there for a moment. And now all of a sudden, they're in the middle of a thunderstorm. And one of those downdrafts hit that large airliner. 
And it felt like the bottom came out. They were plunging toward the earth. In fact, the drop was so fast that the stewardess who was coming up the aisle actually went up in the air. She had to protect her head by throwing her arms up. Well, the thing finally leveled out and yeah, they were in the midst of a thunderstorm and it was rough, but that's okay. I've been in stuff like this. The stewardess now is going through the cabin checking to see if anybody is hurt. And all of a sudden somebody screams out, the engine's on fire. And sure enough, they look out the window, it is ablaze and everybody's panicked. Well, of course, as he's telling the story, he remarks, well, okay, obviously we made it <laughs> because I'm telling the story. But he said, when we landed short of Chicago in Indianapolis, he said, we started filing off of that plane. And I'm telling you, as soon as I hit that tarmac, I took about 50 steps and I fell down on the ground and I thanked God that I was spared. I thanked God for my family. I thanked God for my two daughters. And he said, as soon as I got into that terminal, I got on the phone and I didn't care who heard it. I started talking about this circumstance and I, I redid my vows to my wife and I got on the phone with my girls. I was just so excited. And he said, when he went to bed that night, he realized something. He started off only thinking about how he was going to lose his job tomorrow. And now he said, I couldn't really care less about that. I just wanted to see my wife and my daughters again. I just want to see my family. You see, the, the thing that mattered to him was not his job or his income or his standard of living or even ambition. The thing that mattered most to Ed was his family. Just the other day, remember that? Sunday, Allie responded. The day before, she had had an automobile accident. Remember the description? She was thinking as she was hanging upside down, strapped in that car, about choices that she had made in her life. It's interesting. When we really come eye to eye, face to face with our mortality, we learn something about what really matters. God and family. You know the thing that really matters with regard to family is that we have a responsibility. We have A legacy. Now, you talk about business and legacy. I, I see places, buildings that have folks' names on them. I don't know if they donated the money, whether it's a memorial or some honor for them. Listen, one of those days, that building's going to deteriorate. It'll be renovated. It'll be sold to another company. They'll, they'll put somebody else's name on that building. That is no legacy. No one, when they are on their deathbed, 
is thinking, boy, I wish I just had one more day so I could go in that office and finish up a job. Nobody thinks about that. But they do think about the choices that they made. And they think about the people that they love and the people that love them. How important is family? How important is my responsibility to my family? Rick, will you read 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8? If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay. Are you supposed to take care of your family? Is it a number one priority behind, of course, your relationship with God? Yes. Where does the job fit in all of that? Does he even mention it? What he says that if you don't take care of that, then you have, listen to this now, you have denied the faith. And he says you're not just equal with an unbeliever. We would say, well, okay, so it's like you have thrown the faith out. You're not interested in, in following God anymore. Okay, that should put you on square one. He says, no, that's not true. If you're not tending to your, especially those who are of your household, those that you have immediate responsibility over, those who are depending on you, if you aren't taking care of that responsibility, then not only is it like you, you have shunned the teaching of scripture, which we will discuss for three months. Not only have you done that, denied the faith, but you are, you are worse than an unbeliever. Here's the thing about that. Why is it worse than an unbeliever? Well, it's probably true that the unbeliever, because he's unchurched or he doesn't know what the Bible teaches, he's just in ignorance about it. What makes it worse in neglecting our families is that the child of God should know better. And to know better requires us to what? Do better. So let's ask this question. What's so important about the family? What, what's the big deal? Okay, I want to go to the book of Esther. We're not going to read the book of Esther. There is one text that we're going to read together, and we'll look at that here in a moment. But the story of Esther is powerful. And you say, well, now, now wait a minute. Can, what in the world does that have to do with family and, you know, my tending my family? Well, uh, stay with me. So here is Esther. Tell me something about her growing up years. Did she grow up with the silver spoon in her mouth? Was she, you know, just cared for hand and foot as a young person? No, in fact, she has, she's an orphan. Yes? Okay. So by the providence of God, there is a vacancy. Vashti will not submit herself to the indecencies of Xerxes and his display of her beauty. And so she's out. He wants a new wife. 
So the search is on, and it is a glorified beauty pageant. But finally, as circumstances unfold, it is Esther who is chosen. Esther becomes queen. Unbelievable. Rags to riches. Cinderella story. But she has a caretaker, Mordecai, who is very prominent in this story. And his arch enemy is a man by the name of Haman. And Haman has conspired in order to eliminate the Jews. Well, Esther's a Jew. Mordecai's a Jew. The Jews are a subjugated people right now. But God's got his plan in place. The Messiah is still going to come through the Jews. And so how are we going to remedy the situation? What a great opportunity, right? For God to have somebody so close to Xerxes to make a difference. But this text is Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. Will you read that for us, Rick? For if thou, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there, there enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Okay, so here's what I want us to see. We're going to make a, a parallel between what happened here and what's happening with our families right now. So with Esther, there is the potential of the annihilation of her people. She can sit back and do nothing or she can rise up and effectively fight, do her part, take on the responsibility. And who knows, Mordecai says, whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, I would appropriate that statement for us in a parallel fashion. And I would ask us, because we find ourselves in a similar situation. We find our families embattled. The annihilation of family life is the agenda of so many, seemingly. The question would be, who's going to step in there and make a difference? Who is going to fight the battle that exists in order to save the family? And then the question appropriated for our circumstance, who knows whether you have come to your family for such a time as this. I ask it that way because, uh, for instance, myself, I don't know how anybody else is. Maybe, maybe your situation is, is way deeper than mine. But as far as I can tell, I am a fifth generation Christian, which means then that my children are sixth generation Christians. I can go back at least five generations to find where the gospel was preached to my great-great-grandfather. I did not know him, but I knew my great-grandfather. And he was a godly man. When he died, the family made primarily of Christians, they bought a cabin at Carolina Bible Camp. It's got his name and his wife Beulah's name on it. It's just a tribute to the Christian man that he was. He saw to it that his children and his children's children 
and then down to me, his children's children's children would know the truth. He was very concerned about it. And when he died, my grandfather kind of became the patriarch of the forests. And you know what? He was a godly man like that too. When he died, they told stories about how, you know, he was just a farmer, but how he had uh, paid for uh, all kinds of uh, lumber for the building of a church building and how he had, had donated this and that stuff. I'd never heard about my grandfather. I didn't know about those kinds of things, but what I did know is that every time I went to visit him, he was sitting under the pin oak tree reading his Bible. Sometimes he was asleep with his Bible open. He had been reading and just dozed off. My grandfather was just, you know, as much as he could be, a Bible scholar. And then my dad. My dad had been an elder for practically as long as I could remember, serving the Lord's church and sacrificing a lot, losing a lot of sleep having a lot of stress and anxiety over circumstances in the church. My dad was a godly man, and he saw to it that his boys learned the truth and obeyed the gospel. And he wasn't really the patriarch so much because my grandfather was still living, but boy, he saw to the spiritual well-being of his brothers and sisters. He just wanted everybody to remain faithful to the Lord. So where I am is in the same time that you are in. So however that works for you, we're all kind of in this together. And I have to ask myself, I know that how many ever greats back, that grandfather and his wife obeyed the gospel and they saw to it in their time that they would fight the good fight for their family and they were successful. And then on and on, my great-grandfather and my grandfather and my father did the same thing. Now, what about me in this time? And what about, what about you in this time? It has, it has fallen to us. And the question, the pertinent question is, who knows whether you've come to this family, to this time, in order to deal with the circumstances of this time, to fight this battle I do not know of any time that has existed where there was so many questions about how it's going to go next. It seems like just within the last 10, 15, 20 years that this nation morally has absolutely lost its mind. Amen. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to be faithful. But what about our children and their children? It is not going to be enough anymore just to send them to Bible class and hope that they'll get enough in order to survive practically 24 hours a day, news being pumped into their ears and influencing them for evil. It's going to take due diligence on the part of all of us to fight this battle and to rise to this occasion. Now, throughout history, you probably know that the state of the family very much tells the tale with regard to the state of the nation that exists. That is true historically with, well, the Egyptians. You know, it started out very family-oriented. By the time they ended, I mean, 
They're so deep in idolatrous practice and immorality. Well, you know how God treated them. And then there were the Greeks. Alexander the Great conquers the world. But at his death, division already ensues. And guess where? Within his own family. Ultimately leads to the disillusionment of maybe, arguably, one of the greatest civilizations that's ever existed. And then there are the Romans. Again, beginning with great zeal for family and order and government and valor and just things that are right. A pattern that's been followed by many civilizations afterward. And yet, ultimately, because of sin and immorality and the breaking down of the family and abundant divorce and remarriage and that nation was lost. And so we move very quickly forward. Here we are. What about this nation? What about the United States of America? Aren't we beginning to see very much the same kinds of things? When there is a poor state of affairs in regard to our families, there is going to be a poor state of affairs with regard to our society. Now, several years ago, I know this is true, the story that I read, because actually this kind of thing happened in Chattanooga where we were living. And that is the Crips and the Bloods, who are famous gangs, very ruthless, deadly gangs, were stationed basically over on the West Coast in Los Angeles. But then they sent cells to several different cities, especially in the South. We had cells of both of those gangs in Chattanooga. And I know that because there was a fight that happened. And Anita saw one of her kids in the middle of that fight. She decided to get out of her car and go try and break it up. And if God wasn't with her on that day, I don't know what to say. I'm still like, what? But over in, over in Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, that problem was really festering. And maybe you remember hearing about this on the news. A social worker had the nerve to go and ask the leaders of both the Crips and the Bloods to come together for a question and answer session. And they accepted and so, can you imagine, they're sitting up on the platform, one on one side and the other on the other. And then in the audience are other social workers, um, victims, advocates, and educators. And they start asking questions like, you know, how, how is it that you guys operate? Uh, why is it that you have come here to our city? You know, we're very concerned about, about what your intentions are here. And, and that thing became so heated and so frustrated that someone yelled out, well, how is it that we get rid of you? I mean, how, how can we get you out of here and just go back to Los Angeles or wherever ever it is that you came from? And one of the leaders said, you can get rid of us, or at least the idea of our gangs, if you will just give us 
better families. He said, my boys are the only family that I have. Here's what I think about that. I think that somebody dropped the ball right there. Don't you? A parent, father, mother, a grandparent, a brother and sister, uncles and aunts. Somebody dropped the ball. Someone did a disservice to those young men who now are criminals, who turned to a life of crime and became social outcasts simply because they wanted a place to belong. But I will tell you that there is actually good news. And the good news is that all of us can enjoy a family situation that is strong and that is healthy. Read Proverbs 22 and verse 6 for us. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Don't miss that first part right there. You know, I, and I've told you before, there are all kinds of debates about, you know, what's the implication of that? And all. I've heard it used every time we talk about children or training them, whatever. But don't miss that very first part right there. Train up a child. Just stop right there. Question, is there a responsibility that you have to your children? Yes, there is. Number one responsibility would be to do what? To train them, to train them. So in the coming weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be looking at six different qualities that strong families have, okay? You can jot those down if you want to, but every single one of those, we're going to be looking at separately. We're going to find out what the Bible has to say about it. And then I'm going to suggest to you, you don't have to do it, you can do whatever you want to, but I'm going to suggest to you some activities or some ways in order to bring about those very qualities in your family so that you can have a shot at having the strong family that you always wanted to have. You may say, well, Kim, I've got a strong family. Okay, but there may be some areas that you're weak in or what would it hurt? Just to refresh your mind about what the Bible has to say is our responsibility. What will become, I hope, our legacy. Somebody will look at you one day and say, remember so-and-so, that was my father, that was my grandfather, that was my great-grandfather. They're the ones who came to the family at the right time, who saved the whole bunch. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Let's have a prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together. I pray, Father, that you will help us be serious about our role as parents and grandparents and great-grandparents of uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters, the role that we play in the family. Help us be serious about that. Help us, help us to be the ones who come to the front in order to face the battles to save our families. And Lord, if we will give the attention to that, I 
I know that you will bless it and that you will give us our heart's desire for a strong family. Just help us to be serious about implementing these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.